Praise God. If you could take your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I've been wanting to get back into 1 Timothy uh, for a while now, but we've had uh, some you know, Thanksgiving and before that, the situation with Israel and other things. I was doing some topical messages and, and I was going to try to get back to that uh, real soon. So hopefully next week. But I want to do another topical message, kind of a more devotional message, just kind of challenge us in our walks with Jesus. And if you look at Luke chapter 12, verse uh, 13, it's very, very interesting. And it's something that really makes you think, you know. This time of year is supposed to be a time of year where, you know, we're supposed to, you know, hopefully uh, focus on Christ and the fact that he became, a, God became a man, the incarnation, right? What God did for us, who he is, you know, and, and fall more in love with him and just be blown away by his goodness, you know. But we're threatened by the very season of Christmas, which ironically for Christians, we should be focusing on Jesus more, uh, becomes very materialistic for a lot of people, you know, just trying to make the bills and everything else. But then all of a sudden people start getting focused on material things quite often. And that, that, the irony is, you know, right after Thursday, you have so-called Black Friday, right? Where people have even stampeded other people to death. Uh, you know, the irony that that's, you know, on the heels of Thanksgiving. So a lot of our priorities are getting messed up. And Jesus gives a teaching here, a parable, after he's asked a certain question uh, that, we, that his disciples would know and that those he's ministering to would know uh, what our true priorities ought to be. And if you pick it up here in Luke 12, verse 13, says, someone in the crowd said to him, that is to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Uh, so Jesus is being invited into a family squabble here as he's, you know, he's healing the sick, he's raising the dead, he's bringing people into the kingdom of God, changing their lives for all eternity. And this guy wants to drag G Jesus in. And obviously, uh, you know, he would have to sit with them and <laughs> go through this whole thing with them. And Jesus says something very interesting. But he said to a man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And uh, this is an interesting question. Then he used this to launch into his teaching here because uh, he sensed that this man, you know, perhaps, or that this would be a great opportunity to address the problem of greed. And in verse 15 we read, Then he said to them, Beware, beware, right? Yeah. And be on your guard, it doubles up the warning there, against every form of greed. Greed can come in a lot of ways. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Even when you have a lot, when you're really blessed, that's really not what your life should consist in. Amen? And uh, it's interesting because he says, beware, you know? I remember when I was a kid, I was selling newspaper subscriptions uh, for the Herald Examiner, a now, you know, defunct uh, newspaper. It was one of the, you know, there was the, the uh, L.A. Times, and that was the big paper. Then there was the Herald Examiner, and then there was the Daily News. And I would sell subscriptions for the Herald Examiner. We'd go door to door. You know, I was like 13 years old, four, 13 and 14, and We'd go throughout the valley, Encino, wherever, never Simi Valley. And we'd knock on all kinds of doors trying to sell subscriptions. And I was taught to say that we were going to win a trip to San Diego was part of the pitch. We never had a trip to San Diego. Never, the, the, the guy that, you know, and really none of us was going to win that trip. 
but we were taught to be little liars by the, the sales manager guy that drove us around and dropped us off and didn't know Jesus, so we just all gave our pitch. And, and uh, we did go to Las Vegas and, uh, with kids, and he took us to Circus Circus, you know. Then on the way home, he ran off the road, fell asleep, and went off the road at like 70 miles an hour. And thankfully, we all lived. Just, we all woke up, and he made us, don't tell your parents what happened here. And, you know, well, it's interesting. When I had that job, uh, you'd go to houses, and, you know, you'd give your pitch, and you'd get like $1.50 for every person you get to subscribe to the newspaper. And, uh, and I remember going to one house, and, I, and it said, beware of dogs. And I saw the sign, big red and white sign, beware of dogs. But I looked in the front yard. I said, most people that have dogs in their front yard, I'm looking around, you know. And then I just opened the latch because it was gated, and I walked to the front door. And by the time I got to the front door and started knocking, I heard these dogs, not one, but two German shepherds. And German shepherds, even to this day, there's certain dogs, you know, you don't fear really, you know. But you got a big Pipple, big German Shepherd, big Rottweiler, you know. Uh, some other big dogs might make two German Shepherds coming at me. I didn't care how tough I thought I was. I mean, I darted behind the bushes in between the house, the dogs snipping at my legs and, and screaming at the top of my lungs, man. Embarrassing, you know. A lot of people in the neighborhood came out and were coming around the house because they heard somebody screaming for their life. And finally, they got the, and the dogs were trying to get me, you know. <laughs> I was like trying to kick them away and uh, find the bush. And, you know, I learned really quickly that the word beware is important to take into account, you know. Uh, and here we're called to beware, beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed. We also need to beware, even more so than two German shepherds that want to chew you apart, uh, because that's just temporal. We want to beware of greed because the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 that greed is idolatry. Anything you put before God is idolatry, right? And many people worship the so-called almighty dollar, but it's not almighty. And the Bible talks about how men would be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of self. And Jesus said, Don't, uh, you can't serve two masters, Matthew 6, 24. For either you'll serve the, love the one, hate the other, or hate the, love, hate the one and love the other. You can't serve, he says, both God and money. Many of you are familiar with the translation God and mammon. The word mammon means money. And we can't serve both God and money. And as Christians, we need to make sure that we're not putting money first. And you can, you can ask questions. We ought to. How do we know when we're putting money before God? Well, if we can't go to work or we can't go to church and we can't be in fellowship because we're more interested in making a bunch of money, that would probably be an indicator well, wait, what if I, can't, I have to make, I've got kids to feed and everything else and I've got to be in fellowship. Well, there's, you should still be able to find some way to be in fellowship in some way, amen? Because uh, we're, we're commanded not to forsake the seven of ourselves together, but to gather all together all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching, amen? So we have to look at our hearts and uh, do we think more about money than God? I certainly hope you don't. Now, if you're an accountant right now, you might be thinking, oh, I'm convicted, but I have to, that's my job. Well, I'm talking about dreaming about money. Like, man, if I could just make more money, it's about money for you, you know? Or uh, you put things before God. You put things before people, you know? Those are very important questions to ask. And Jesus warns us about every form of greed. And that's interesting because he's talking about a guy that's really worried about his inheritance here and focused so much on his inheritance. 
uh, that it's broaching his relationship with his brother. And it's just very interesting because a lot of times uh, when money's in play, families get destroyed. You know, they say probably the biggest problem uh, that you deal with hasn't been the case in my marriage counseling, but with a lot of divorces, they say one of the number one reasons, usually they say it's the number one reason, is financial difficulties. Uh, and finances can come into play and just destroy marriages, destroy families, destroy uh, relationships between siblings. And this guy would not even maybe think this was a form of greed, you know? And Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he's warning the church members not to sue each other, to work these things out between each other. And why bring the church's business before the, before the secular courts? And he says, should you not rather be defrauded meaning lose something, even though you may be in the right, than be a bad witness to the world. Now, he's not saying you can't sue the world, you know. He's talking about a brother in Christ, you know. Uh, so all these things are very, very important to consider. But in verse uh, 16, he says, it says, And he told them a parable, saying, Then Jesus states, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for, your, uh, for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, eat, you know. Drink, be merry. Our modern vernacular, you know, might be sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know. And it's interesting, he comes into a lot of money. And sometimes people think when you come into a lot of money, it's automatically a blessing, you know. Wow, I've just been incredibly blessed, you know. And, but it can become a curse if you don't use money for God's glory, you know. You don't live for him. And you decide to just live for yourself, which happens with a lot of people. Uh, that, you know, change after they inherit millions of dollars or what have you. And it's interesting here because when you look at the text, this starts with the land being productive, which would typically be a blessing. And when you go through the Old Testament text, God blesses you when he blesses your land. But even in the Old Testament, he warns them not to misuse the blessings that he has given them. Now, it's really interesting uh, because I've seen this I was called, I've had several mission trips, I don't know, four or five, to, uh, to the Netherlands. And we've done that a number of times. And uh, I spoke there at different churches each time, pretty much. Uh, and one time I went, a gal got saved, uh, by a, uh, and her dad happened to be a gentleman that was putting off the biggest evangelistic crusade they have in the Netherlands every year. They do it once a year. And she came home saved after one of our presentations. And then he invited me to speak at that the next time they did that, it was a big old camp thing where it's a huge amphitheater outside and so forth. Got to speak to a lot of people. But every time, which is great because you get to show the gospel, but what's interesting is my favorite place to go was not there. I liked to go to this little place called Urk. And Urk was not too little. They supposedly had like 70 churches there. But it was kind of, Urk in the Netherlands is kind of this uh, very reformed town. Uh, man, you, you go into Urk, and it was separated for many, many years from the rest of the Netherlands by water. And there are seafaring people 
sailors, you know. You got the, you know, the, the watch, you know, at the, uh, the lighthouse there and everything, which I've climbed up in, and they're just right there on the ocean. It's just beautiful. And when you walk into that place or drive into that place, I'm not kidding, you feel like you've entered the set of like Little House in the Prairie. There's just, everybody's, ladies are all wearing dresses, and, and, it, it, and it's just, there's, a, there's just a, a, a wholesome sense about it in a lot of ways. Uh, and very, very beautiful. But, and a lot of community there that just, you know, but there was like a, as Ted Walker, the first time I went there, he said the leader of the city, I don't know if it was a mayor or someone important there, had like a Macedonian call, you know, like Paul's Macedonian call, whereby he felt like we need to bring someone in to talk to our young people. So I was invited to talk to the young people, and I gave the, the, the presentation, they sold their souls for rock and roll. Uh, we'd see people get changed, people get saved. They had me back a number of times, not just in the Netherlands, but to Irk. And what was interesting is, uh, and these were a very, very reformed group. So when I'm telling people that God wills that all would be saved and he wants you to come to Jesus, you know, that irked them, many of them, you know, because they weren't used to seeing the love of God like that. And I was told by Bert Dornbos, who is an incredible brother over there, older gentleman, he's getting, in his, getting up in age, beautiful brother in Christ and his wife, uh, Velma, uh, uh, that you were called not here to deal with just a youth, you know, really, to, to, to show them the love of God because of their views. But what was interesting about Irk is what happened to Irk is Irk was, came into a bunch of prosperity, I was told, that the fishing industry, which was the main industry in Irk, where there was a boom. It just <laughs> flourished. And before you knew it, so many people had so much money in Irk that they got the biggest, they got the stereos and the cars and, the, and everything. And all their youth had a bunch of money. And now there are all kinds of kids getting stoned, getting wasted, and, and they just became very worldly after their town had produced so much wealth from the fishing industry. And I thought, wow, isn't it interesting? This, this wealth that came in could have been such a blessing for these people, I'm sure it was to those who were living for God. And I met many of them in Irk that loved Jesus. A lot of beautiful uh, Christians there. Uh, we had some really beautiful worship, you know. But it also breaks your heart is you have to be careful what you set your sights on. And I want to ask you right now, if you were just given a gift of, if you found out that, you know, someone in your family won the lottery and they gave you, you know, split $5 million between, no, they gave you each $5 million, everyone got it. Would that change you? Would you still be in fellowship? Would you still be seeking Jesus? Would you be uh, seeking to use, hopefully, a good part of that money for God's kingdom and His glory? You know, we have to ask those questions of ourselves. And, and, and those are hard questions, but I sure hope so, because uh, this guy's life here, this guy, his life is, is, is way too small. And the name of this message is, How Big Is Your Life? How Big Is Your Life? This guy seems like he's been enlarged, his, his tent has been enlarged. His, his finances have been enlarged. But as big as things got around him, he got smaller and smaller. And he says, I'll, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods, right? In verse 19, that is. Laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Wow. And now who will own what you have prepared? Wow. 
So is the man, Jesus says, who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We want to be rich toward God, amen? Not toward ourselves. And His world was way too small because it didn't involve the kingdom of God. And we're called to watch out for loving the world system. Remember 1 John 2, 15, 16 and 17? It's a warning that we ought to take heed of. It says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. For all that is of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And the world is passing away in the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God, he that does the will of God abides forever. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we want to make sure that we are doing the will of God. Amen? Because we want to abide forever. Because if you're of the world and you love the world system, the evil world system, and that's like you just love it, you're going to pass away along with the world. And these two ways are diametrically opposed. There's the narrow way, which is the love of God, love of Christ. He is the way, the truth, and life. And there's the way of the world. And James 4.4, 4, you remember that one? Which warns fallen, lapsed believers. Says you adulteresses. And he's not talking about sexual adultery there. He's talking about adultery between Christ, who's our bridegroom, and forsaking Christ for the world. He says, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is what? Enmity, Enmity with God. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I need to give this warning. We need this warning over and over again as Christians. Because you know what doctrine in the church you don't even hear about hardly anymore? The doctrine of separation. The doctrine of separation is being separate from the evil world that we live in. And that's a very powerful message throughout Scripture. Remember Jesus says in John 17, I've chosen you out of the world, right? Well, he talks about, Father, they're not of the world. But in John 15, he says, I've chosen you out of the world. You know, if the world loves you, you know, he, he warns them. If the world hates you, they hated me before they hated you. But woe to us if the world loves us, you know. Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. We should stand out like sore thumbs for Christ, man. 2 Timothy 3.12, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Amen. So it's important that we're separate from the world and that our lives are bigger than this world. How big is your life? Jesus said uh, in John 6.33, seek first the what? The kingdom of God. Amen. And his righteousness and all these things. All your needs will be added to you. He's going to take care of you, right? You don't have to worry about having a bunch of barns. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... He's going to meet your needs. He's going to take care of you. As the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. I'm glad I saw a little dog there because I've never seen that little dog. I know, Who just barked? We better not have the laughing revival breaking out in our church, you know, because we're not going to all join in. We're going to have to, like, uh, get around you and just love you and, you know. But Diana has a little dog there. That's sweet. Sweet, unless it keeps on barking. Then it's sweet, but with a little problem. I'm kidding. But uh, it's interesting. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. You know, I was being interviewed today uh, by Doreen Virtue, and uh, we had a great time. And she's, uh, we got to have her on our, our podcast pretty soon. But uh, she asked me to read the Our Father because she wanted to mention something about it. And, and uh, I just said it because I, that's a, hopefully a lot of us have that memorized as a prayer I pray all the time. And so I just recited it. But our Father, right? And I won't say the whole thing, but our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy what? 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We're seeking the kingdom when we pray that prayer. Amen? Here you are tonight. You know, if I could ask you how big is your life, would I say is it comprised, uh, is it beyond this world or you love the world? And what, is there, what evidence is there in your life that you're seeking, you're seeking first the kingdom of God as righteousness? Well, here you are today. That's good evidence. Amen? You're here to get in the word of God with your brothers and sisters. We've been translating, the Bible says in, in Colossians chapter 1, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, what a beautiful, we're in the kingdom of God right now. The church is part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus walks in the midst of the candlesticks, his churches. He's in our midst. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, there is he in the midst of them. Amen. Amen. Now, as a believer, he's already with you. But he shows up in a special way when believers gather together in his name. That's why you want to worship him and you want to praise him and you want to seek him. And, and speaking of seeking him, uh, Brother James Jackson, keep him in prayer. He just lost his dad. His dad's been dying for some time. But uh, yesterday uh, morning, he, his dad had passed around 4 a.m. And, and it was interesting because he shared the scripture. He said, my dad, before you know, his dad was really new, you know, before James knew Christ and so forth, his dad would say to him, you know, uh, seek and you shall find. And James didn't know where that came from. He just thought his dad would quote that all the time. And then when James became a Christian, and he, he, he had head up the fellowship there in uh, Bel Verde, Texas, uh, the Blessed Hope uh, live stream there, he said, you know, my dad would quote that scripture and say that to me a lot. But then I couldn't believe it after he became a Christian. I read that in the Bible. Oh, that came from the lips of Jesus. You know, seek and you shall find, you know. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. And that got him excited. So it was interesting. He said it was interesting. He really felt the Lord blessed him because the morning his dad died, he had already read, when he found out, I guess, another scripture, which is Jeremiah chapter uh, 29, verse 13, uh, which says, and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. And James says, when I read that scripture that morning, he goes, I was just blown away because it made me think of that scripture in my, that story with my dad. And it blessed my heart to think about that. And then he finds out that his dad died. And he just felt like it just warmed his heart, you know, about his dad, I guess, just prior to him finding out that his dad died. And he felt it was just like a supernatural thing, you know. And that's the neat thing about seeking his kingdom, amen. You know, Travis, I remember, you know, all the miracles, little and big, you know, surrounding your dad's death, right? And, and how a lot of things came full circle for you. And it's just interesting. Our world is much bigger when we know Jesus. Amen? Amen. When you die without Christ, or, or family members are without Christ, it's just so heartbreaking. And it says we don't grieve like the world grieves as Christians because we have something much bigger. We have, we have so much more. We know that we're going to be with our, our loved ones in Christ forever and ever. Amen? Amen? So don't let your world be so small. Uh, how, how, or your life be so small. Amen? In fact, your world should be God's kingdom, separate from this world. Amen? Amen. Now, uh, next question. You know, how deep is your world? How deep is your world? Uh, it's interesting. This farmer's world is really shallow. Can you notice? He's just living, you know, for today. He's living for, you know, uh, material things. Uh, 
He, his life is really, really shallow. He just wants more and more stuff, you know. He's living for it. And when you live for it, you end up never being fulfilled. You have to live for him. Amen. Because all the young people and older people too, if I could just have this, if I could just get that, if I could just, you know, and that's how people are today. Man, if I could just have that, I'll be happy. Man, if I could just get this vehicle or I could move into that house or then my life would be complete. But Jesus says, even when you have an abundance of things, as we just read earlier, your life does not consist in what? In what you possess. Amen. And the world is living for, you know, a lot of Christians, professing Christians, are into making their best life now. Sounds like the title of a book. By Joel Olstein, it is. This isn't, if this is our best life, man, wow, eternity is going to be pathetic then. But that's not the reality, amen? And we need to live for him, not for it. And you guys will remember, we have a, a video we did a few months back now, two months ago, I guess, or three now. Uh, on super celebrities, right? And how they are just so empty inside, you know? And, it, uh, and I, just, uh, I just looked at that recently. And that has like, uh, it's getting a lot of views, still a few thousand views every couple days. It's got like over 300,000 views right now. That means a lot of people are watching that. And when you look at, I haven't seen the comment section for probably a month and a half, two months. But over and over again, the comments are like, wow, I needed to hear this, you know? wow, this really recalibrated my life, you know, kind of thing, you know. And, uh, and, I'm cur- and we encourage people to share that video because we show a lot of the, most, the world's most successful people in entertainment, in Hollywood, in music, in sports. The most, not some of the most, most uh, many of the most successful, talking about how empty they are inside, even though they have everything, and how it's atrophied of the soul and so forth. And, but we show testimonies of believers at the end where they just rejoice in their salvation, in knowing Christ. Amen? And that's very, very important. So how, how deep is your life, you know? I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 5. He prayed for you, he prayed for the believers, that we know the height, the depth, the width, and the length of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. We know the world's empty. It doesn't offer fulfillment. But... He wants us to understand the love of God in Christ for us, the depth of it, the, the height, the width, the length of it. And that's, that's amazing. The more you, you, you focus on Jesus' life and who he is and his love for you, and you become enraptured in who he is and what he's done for you. While we, were yet, while we were yet sinners, what does the scripture say? Christ died for us. And Paul says that someone might die for a righteous man, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. What kind of, love, the, love is the greatest of all. I just did a message recently on, uh, we talked a lot about the importance of love, you know. But it's important, you guys, to realize what we have in Jesus and how deep his love goes. Amen? He, he went into the lowest parts of the earth, the scriptures say. That's pretty deep. How high it is. His love is higher for us than the heavens are, the Bible says, from the earth, Psalm 103. And that's pretty high, isn't it? Right? How wide is his love for us? God so loved the world. Amen? It's the greatest love of all. And you could bask in that love and, you, you know, you could have the world, but give me Jesus, as the song says. Amen? Give me Jesus. When I rise, the other song says, you know, 
Give me Jesus. The world before me, or I'm sorry, the cross before me, not the world, and the world behind me, amen. I have decided, remember that song? To follow Jesus. Jeremy, you know that song? Gerald, do you know that song? I've decided. Can we sing that at the end? I'll leave some time. Okay. When it hits 7, uh, or no, we got to what, 8, 15? So you say that because you don't have kids in the nursery, bro. Because you got it as long as you want, Joe. I love the attitude, though. <laughs> I, I agree with the sentiment, but, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just we'll, we'll save a few minutes for that song. Uh, just give me a wave when it hits like, you know, 8.05 or so, so I know time's coming up. Uh, but uh, Jonathan will give me the sign, you know. But it's interesting because we have so much in Jesus. And uh, listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, meaning you're born again, you're in Christ, keep seeking the things above. In other words, when you started out, you ought to have been seeking Christ and things above. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. In other words, I'm not supposed to be all about trying to build a seven-mountain mandate, take over the earth for Jesus, am I? He's our Lord and Savior, amen? When he comes back, man, Revelation eleven fifteen, at the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of Christ, amen? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I love these passages. I wish I, we had time to go to each of the ones I'm bringing up, but uh, we can only go to so many because, you know, time will evade us. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the end of the chapter there. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. How do we not lose heart, Paul? This is how you do. You don't want to make sure you don't lose heart. You know, three different times in the New Testament says, do not grow weary in well-doing. How do you not grow weary? I'm 60 years old now. I've been serving Jesus since eight, I was 18 years old. Okay? There's not a time in my life where I thought, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. You know? There's not a time in my life where I didn't want to put him first in my life. Well, how do you do that? Well, look. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is what? Being renewed day by day. Isn't that, aren't you grateful to hear that? We get older, we start to get more wrinkles, we start to get slower, we start to get aches. I just turned 60 and something new happened that never happened before. And I don't believe 60 is a magic number or anything. I, 60 is 60, it's 60, you know. But man, I've got this shoulder that I got therapy for, long story behind that shoulder, and it's still not working right, it still hurts, the clavicle's messed up, the, you know, the, you know, tore the, uh, rotator cuff in the back of my wing bone, you know, and it's still torn. There's like four or five things going on. In fact, the therapist said, and I, land, and I messed it up three different times doing stuff that was too hard and kept going anyway. And he said, this is the second worst shoulder I've ever seen, you know. And I haven't got operated on yet. It's been that way for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years. And then, you know, it jacked up my arm over here because I think it's that referral pain because it doesn't want, I think that's God putting something there, referral, so I don't mess it up worse here, you know, so it restricts me to a degree. And then this year, that's still been going on. And then all of a sudden, man, I, I supposedly tore my meniscus a long time ago over here, you know, but I never got it fixed. And now I don't feel any pain there. I'm like, praise God, I'm glad I didn't get it fixed, you know. He said I wouldn't be able to, you know, climb and go left and right. And I do, sometimes I do hit. I do high interval 
you know, intensity training, you know, and, and, I, and I run as hard as I can for an older big guy, you know, and it's fine. But all of a sudden this left side's giving me pain. I'm like, oh, man. And then this shoulder started, like, what is going on over here? And I'm like, I'm 60 years old. I might be falling apart, you know, but I'm not going to quit. You know, I'll still try to run sprints until I can't and whatever else. And maybe I'll get operated on eventually. I just hate taking time out of my life and just, you know, we'll see. Lord, your will be done. I've been praying about it lately. But look at, therefore we do not lose heart, but uh, though our outer man is what? Decaying. I can say, yeah, I know that's going on. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. I love it. Whenever you think, man, I'm getting old, say, praise the Lord, my inner man is just getting newer and newer every day. Amen? Amen. Which, part, which, man, which part of you matters most? Outer or inner? Amen. The inner. The Bible says physical exercise is good for a little in this world, but guess what? It goes on to say, but spiritual exercise is good not only for this world, but much better, he says, and for the world to come. Amen? Do you believe that? Verse 17. For a momentary... Momentary, it's temporary. Light affliction. It's really light affliction compared to what you could be going through. Is producing for us and what? Eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. In other words, when we go through things for Jesus here and we just live for him and we put him first and we go through trials and so forth, as long as we're living for him, those trials, God's using those to work a Weight of glory that you will receive in glory in the heavenly kingdom that's far by, beyond any comparison with what you went through. You'll never be like, oh, wow, this praise God, I, I went through that because now I got this and this makes sense because it's kind of even, you know, now I'm getting really blessed. No, no, you won't compare it. You'll be like, that was zero almost compared to what I've received in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are what? seen, but the things which are what? Not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. Temporal, but the things which are seen are eternal. So don't get focused on the things of this world. And don't live for the things of this world. Jesus said, in, or the scriptures say in Hebrews 12 too, regarding Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Do you fix your eyes on Jesus? Are your eyes on Jesus? Could you actually say, hey, you know what? I keep focusing on the fact that Jesus is my all in all, that this world I live in is temporal, that material things are not better than spiritual things, and that my inner man is more important than my outer man. Can you honestly say that that's how you live your life? And if you are living your life of, in that way, what are some evidence of, of, evidences of that reality? What, what, what could you point to? Well, hopefully you could say, you know what, Joe? I, I feed the Spirit, man. I, I'm in the Word, you know? I pray and seek God, you know? I live for Him. And I recognize, too, that this world's passing away. Philippians 3.20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. And you know what? God has a way of testing us to see what matters most for us. And he also lets us go through things like the refiner's fire. We go through the refiner's fire. There'll be a time coming up where the whole world, man, will be engulfed in tribulation. And the Lord says it'll be a time of refining where he'll bring forth his people like silver and like gold. 
And we have to be ready to suffer. Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, right? For I have overcome the world. Amen? And we need to be ready uh, for harsh times and hard times. And guess what? If you're ready for hard times in the future that could potentially happen in our lifetimes, then it makes the things that a lot of Christians just give up and freak out over little things, it makes them easy. That's one reason I, I love. That's, I, I felt that it's a masterful thing that Jesus has done and the scriptures do in the New Testament by getting us to focus on his coming and letting us know that no one knows the day and the hour that could happen in our generation because he always keeps us focused on his return that way and living spiritually, seeking, uh, helping us to be ready to live for him, amen, knowing they could come in our lifetimes and also knowing that our lives are short which is one of the messages of this parable he's giving because this guy thinks he has all the time in the world. But in this scripture, we're learning that we need to live for him. So we've talked about, you know, how, how big is your life? We've talked about, you know, uh, not only just how big is your life, but we talked about how deep is your life. Now I want to ask you, how wide is your life? How wide is your life? Is your life super skinny or is it wide? And I'm not talking about, are you gaining a bunch of weight? Like that's a good thing. Although it's interesting, the Old Testament, the word fat is, when the Bible talks about people being fat, it's considered a blessing. And it, cause, it means because God's blessed them, you know. So it's not saying, hey, you know, go and try to be fat. But it's just saying that that was a symbol, symbol of blessing and having things that God, having enough food and nourishment for God blessed you where you weren't skin and bones and, and dying. But when I'm asking you how wide is your life, I'm talking about how wide, meaning does it include more than just you? Or is your life super skinny? Is it just about you, you know? Uh, the, the farmer, you know, uh, here that we read about in the text, uh, it's interesting. He, he likes the word I. And he likes the word me, you know? He's living for himself. And it's quite interesting. That reminds me of how Satan is. Remember Satan's five I wills? They were all about his self and his will. I will ascend to heaven, Isaiah 14. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will uh, sit on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Well, look at what this guy says. Look at verse 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 12. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, you know, you have, he's talking to himself. He's not talking to the Lord. He's not saying, Lord, what's your will to be what your will? And as Christians, one way you can know you're a Christian or not, do you say, you get up in the day and say, what am I going to do today? What's my will? How do I live my life this week? Or do you say, thy will be done? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We have to be real, man, because there's a lot of people playing church. There's a lot of pretentious people out there that claim to be Christians who do not live for God. We have to make sure we're living for the Lord. And I love what Paul says. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Remember that? Uh, some translations, let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's right after Paul says, no longer live just for yourself, but live for others. Amen. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, don't live just for yourself. This guy was all about what I can get for myself, but live for others. And can you say, and you look at yourself in the mirror, 
You just think about yourself right now. Are you living for yourself or are you living for others? Are you living first and foremost for Jesus and the kingdom or are you living for yourself? That's what this farmer was doing, man. He was living just for himself. You know, I will say to my soul, I will, I will, I will. You know, but the scriptures say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the very nature, as the NIV says, the very form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. He could have held on to it, but he said no. And he became a man. And he humbled himself to become a man, even in the form of a servant. The word servant there is doulos. And there are different words for servants there. And the word doulos in the Greek is the lowest of the servants. It was used of the lowest servants. And he became like a servant. And it said he died a death, but he didn't just die a death. He died a death, it says, on the cross. And that was a horrifying thing. The worst kind of death you could suffer as well. The lowest kind of servant and the worst kind of death. Jesus did that. Why? Paul says, he became poor so that we could become rich. That's what Paul says. Jesus says, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes in the ground, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's your God. That's the Creator. You know? Because he is not skinny. He's really wide. He embraces and includes anyone who will come to him. Amen? Whosoever will. And he dies to bless you. And he calls us to live that same kind of life. He calls you and me, he calls us to wake up sacrificially and let that same mind, that same attitude that was in Jesus, who although he's in the very form of God, decided to become a man. We're supposed to have that mentality. We wake up, how can I be a blessing to others? How can I lay my life down and be a servant and serve others? He's blessed us, but he's blessed us to be a blessing to others. Amen? Give and it shall be given unto you. A lot of people love that verse. It's a great verse, but guess what? Freely you have received. Freely what? Give. So I'm encouraging you this Christmas season and throughout the rest of our lives, let's make sure we're a blessing to other people. Love one another. Bless one another. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Be challenged in that. We don't want to be like this man who says over and over again, I will, I will, I will. Who's echoing Satan, I will, I will, I will. But look at what God says when he says he wills. In Exodus chapter 6, uh, it's interesting, when he's dealing with the people of Israel, he wills something totally different than what Satan wills and, the, and what this man willed. He says, because he's not, God's not skinny, he says, I will bring you out from under that burden of the Egyptians, chapter 6, verse 6. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people, verse 7. I will be your God, be to you your God. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land. Verse 8 again, I will give you... Uh, a heritage. There's five I wills from him, from God, Yahweh. Here's five I wills from Jesus. I love these I wills. Uh, contrary to Satan's I wills, I will give you rest. Amen? How's that? We need rest. Amen? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Uh, uh, he says, whoever comes to me, he says, I will not cast away. Amen? Praise God for that. He is not skinny. He includes us. I will send you the Holy Spirit, John 16, 7. John 28, 20, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. He's not just about himself. God is a giving God. Amen? That's the nature of the triune Godhead, is to give. God is love. Amen? How can you be love if there's no object of your love? That's why Allah is not a God of love. He's a false God. But who does he love from eternity past? He doesn't know what love is. No one else exists. But God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And He shares love within 
the triune Godhead even before he creates anything. That's one of the beautiful things about the Trinity. And then lastly, Jesus says, I will come again. Amen. John 14, 3. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again to receive you unto myself. Praise the Lord, you guys. Aren't you glad he includes you in his love? Aren't you glad that God's not skinny, but he includes others? Okay, lastly, how, how, how long is your life? How long is your life? How big is your life? How deep is your life? How wide is your life? How long now is your life? Well, this guy didn't have a very long life. Uh, it was just temporal. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, Luke uh, 12, 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. He thought he had a long life coming. Yet take your ease and drink and be merry. But God said to him, verse 20, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Wow. We can go tonight, man. I might not see you tomorrow. You might not see me tomorrow. You might be gone. Our lives are short. James 4.14 says not to boast about tomorrow. Because he says, goes on to say, your life is like a vapor that appears for a moment and is gone. Being living in Southern California for so many of us, we don't even know what a vapor is, most of us, you know, until it gets really cold and you and you see that vapor disappear for a moment and then it's gone. That's how long our lives are compared to eternity. Very, very, very short. That's why the psalmist, you know, prayed in Psalm 90, you know, Lord, you know, help me to number my days. That I might prepare, he wants to prepare a right heart before God. That I know how short, he wants to be reminded by God how brief his life is. Because he wants to be aware of the consequences of how he lives. We need to realize our lives are very, very brief. And then we face eternal consequences. Jesus said, or Bible says, I'm sorry, in Hebrews 9.27, it's point of man wants to die, but after this, the, the judgment. Amen. And that's why I love Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. I've got to do some housekeeping when the new year comes. So we're going to do some holiday messages and so forth. Christmas is coming up. I'm going to finish Ecclesiastes, not spend so much time in that because we got off of that book for a while, then COVID came, and I need to finish that book. You know, we're in like chapter 10. I'll probably, I might do that on Wednesdays after I finish First Timothy. Uh, we'll see. But uh, going through Jude and James, two books I've been telling people we'll go through eventually uh, in the up upcoming year, Lord willing. Uh, if I want to go through one book and get to the next one that same year, I probably need to start with Jude because I don't know if we'll be able to do James in a, in a year, you know. But I'm looking forward to those times. But you know what? I know, I know I'm not promised tomorrow. But I love Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, where it says it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. It says it's better to go to funerals and parties. You remember that? Do you remember why he says it's better to go to funerals than to parties? To death. Who, wh who said that? That's right. We're reminded of our deaths. Jimmy, your beard is so big, I didn't see your mouth moving, man. I'm like, who said that? Oh, that's Jimmy's voice. <laughs> reminded of our deaths. I know we got, we got a little more time. He's reminding me early, you know. He's giving me the 15-minute sign at 8.10 instead of 8.15. It's perfect, Jonathan. Uh, so uh, it's important to keep that in mind. It's exactly that. He says, he, you know, it's better to do that because he says that a man then knows that he's going to die. 
In the book of Amos, it says, prepare to meet your God. Are you prepared to meet God if you were to die today? You know, are you prepared? I remember I got COVID, and I was sitting in the hospital, laying there, no visitors allowed, and I knew, you know, that's one thing. Am I ready to meet God? Well, we should be making sure we're ready every day. And I had, I had a good conscience before the Lord, because I've lived, with, lived before him with a good conscience, you know. But you search your heart out. You're like, Lord, is there anything I've left undone? Is there any, you know, is it my time right now? But your time can come anytime. Mine can as well. And it's very, very important that we understand this. And that's why we want to make sure our lives aren't short. This guy's life was very short on earth, and then he didn't have eternal life. He was going to, like, the, remember the rich man, the other rich man that Jesus talks about? Remember the rich man and the beggar in Luke chapter 16? He dressed in purple every day, the most luxurious clothes and plenty to eat, and a guy begged from his table, Lazarus, and so forth. And, and Lazarus dies, and he goes, and the angels take him to Abraham's bosom. Isn't that awesome? He's in Abraham's bosom, but the rich man is in a place of torment, separated by a gulf and, and torment and flame. So have Lazarus come over here and dip his finger in water and come over here and touch it on my tongue. Lazarus was just wanting a, a, a crumb. Now he's got everything. This rich man who had everything now can't even get a drop of water. What a contrast that is. And it's like, well, oh man, if I have money, it's a bad thing. No, not necessarily. It's do you possess the money or does the money possess you? Because he was in Abraham's bosom. Abraham was the richest man of his day, amen? So it's not like you're, you're going to hell because you have money. But who do you live for? Are you rich toward yourself or are you rich toward God? Do you use your money for God's glory? Do you use it for his kingdom to spread the gospel? Do you sow it to get the gospel out? Do you, are you there when you recognize there's people that you can help at times? Or are you really miserly and stingy, you know? We have to focus on those things. And you notice I haven't said one time you need to give more to the church. I'm just talking about being giving people. Amen? Not that we don't need to take care of the church. We obviously do. But I'm just talking about this. The scriptures talk about you can't go through the pages of scriptures without an emphasis on us being giving people. And I praise God. I know the brothers and sisters here. I look around, you know, and, and there's all these giving, loving people because I see how we treat one another and love one another. That's beautiful. But, and it's not saying like this guy was storing things up. It's not saying you can't ever store anything up. There's a proverb in chapter 20, I think around verse 21, 20. Uh, it, it talks about, you know, the wise man stores up oil, right, and food. But the, but the uh, foolish man just spends everything he has at once, you know. So we got to have biblical balance. We can, get, we can read a narrative and draw a conclusion without putting Scripture with Scripture. That's one thing I've always emphasized is the Bible says to rightfully divide the word of truth, compare spiritual things with spiritual things, amen. Yet at the same time, we definitely know we can't be living for money. We have to be living for God. And if we have money, we need to make sure we're seeking to help others and get the gospel out. But guys, this guy was living for today. And he thought he had all these years ahead of him. He thought, man, guess what? I could just live my life and I could just party and just have a good time and be at ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Everything's, well, I, look at this, man. I can finally relax. And it's just, 
But he's talking to himself. He's not saying, God, I want to live for you. You've blessed me with all this. I can't believe how good you've been. My, my, prop, my crops are so productive. You know, maybe I can help some poor people now, Lord. You know, and I've got a lot of things now that I can bless people with. And, you know, I remember this poor guy down there and this poor person over there. And, 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 and I remember this, this relative over here needs help. And, and wow, Lord, it's been such a blessing. And I'll, and I'll keep some back so I can have something for the future. That's fine. That, the Lord has been fine with that. But the Lord wasn't in the conversation at all. Oh, my soul. And do you reference God when you make your decisions? When you go day to day, do you actually say, Lord, what's your will? Or do you say, oh, my soul, what am I going to do? You might be here at Blessed Hope and you, you call yourself a Christian, but you know you can still be an atheist? Well, no, I believe in God. No, but you can be a practical atheist. You can know on Scripture like the demons. You, they, it says the demons believe and tremble. You can know that, but you can be a practical atheist by leaving God out of your decisions. You know what I'm saying? You believe he exists, but you don't seek him. But the Bible says in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, verse 6, you know, it talks about true faith. Although to have faith, you must believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And praise the Lord, here you are today, so you're seeking him. Unless you were brought here by somebody you didn't want to come with and you didn't want to hear the word, well, then I love you anyway, but God had you here anyway because how did, how, did, how did I say that, you know? So God loves you, but he wants you to have eternal life, not temporal life. Titus 1, 2, to believers, look what it says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. 1 John 2.25, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. 1 John, I'm sorry, the Gospel of John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Luke 18.30, Jesus talks about those who actually live for him. He says, they will receive many times as much in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Amen? Amen. So Jesus wants our lives to be bigger. He wants them to be deeper. He wants them to be wider. He wants them to be longer. He wants them to be eternal. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Amen. Amen. The last verses I want to look at tonight are 2 Timothy. I'm sorry, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Praise God for that. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Verse 3 now. Seeing that his divine power, that's the creator of the universe, his power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. What are they? So that by them we may, what? Become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. If you've been born again, man, you've escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. And this lust is, this world is fully corrupted because of lust. Is the entertainment world corrupted? Why is it corrupted? Because of lust, desires for evil things. Are politicians, is our politics corrupted? Because of lust for evil things, you know, back to the theme of greed, 
which we read. I mean, there's all these you know, special interest groups at work paying off politicians to get their way, and people are crushed in the midst of all of that. But we've escaped the corruption of the world through lust, and we're partakers as Christians of the divine nature. Now, we've talked about that before. When we're partakers of the divine nature, does that mean we become God? In what sense do we partake of God's nature? The Holy Spirit, God made us in His image. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And we don't partake of the incommunicable attributes of deity, of the divinity of God. We don't become omniscient. We don't come, become omnipresent. We don't become God. But we do partake of the communicable attributes like the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Amen? And isn't that awesome? You could have been a cockroach or something, you know? What in the world, man? You've been created in the image of God. You didn't even exist, either did I. And he gives us life, makes us image, and here we are. And then he's redeemed us. Wow. Well, we've been partakers of this divine nature. It's so beautiful. And we go on to read. Now, verse 5, Now for this reason also, applying all diligence, be diligent about this, in your faith supply moral excellence. Walk in faith, but make sure you're seeking to be morally excellent in your behavior. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. Grow in your knowledge of the Word of God and who God is. And in your knowledge, self-control. Don't just have knowledge, but make sure you walk in self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. It's important not to just have knowledge, but also to have self-control. Amen? Because knowledge doesn't do you any good if you're not having self-control. But you don't want to just have self-control and knowledge for a little while. You want to have perseverance. You want to continue in those things. Amen? And in your perseverance, add what? Godliness. Become more and more like the Lord and fear and revere Him. Verse 7. And in, all, and in your godliness, add what? Brotherly kindness. Are you having phileo? Or are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Make sure you're doing that. And in your brotherly kindness, love, agape. Make sure you're growing in your love for God and others. Amen? Well, check this out. Do, these, do you have these qualities? Are you growing in these qualities? Are you being rich toward God? Because he was rich toward himself, that farmer, right? But we want to be rich toward God. These are the riches of God. And he wants you to grow in these things. Amen? Well, verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification, his washing from his former sins. Forgot he was even forgiven. Forgot he was saved. This warns you that if somebody could forget they were even saved and fall away. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will what? You'll never fall. You'll never stumble. Verse 11, For in this way, the what? The entrance into what? The eternal kingdom. That guy had a short life, man. He lived for himself. He was not rich toward God. But look at those who are rich toward God, who are growing in God. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. This is the way. It's a narrow road. You have to continue on the narrow path, and you'll have eternal life. Amen? Amen. Now, we have eternal life right now. We die, go be the Lord. But Jesus says, he that endures to the end will be saved, right? And the scriptures talk about inheriting eternal life. Something we have, but we also have that final salvation as well. And right now we have the hope of eternal life and entering the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Gerald, can you come up here? And don't do the 10-minute version, bro, because then you're going to make me late. Because right now I got, we have nine minutes. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Let's just do the average version, though. 
Can we all uh, uh, stand up together? We're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen.